Hello everyone, this is Robert Sines, and welcome to the second episode of Ouvra Podcast. This episode is about the making of my comic label, Ouvra Comics, and a little bit more about the making of this podcast. As I talked about in episode one, there were various factors that went into choosing the name Ouvra. And the second word, comics, spelled C-O-M-I-X, I chose because I feel that it best expresses what Ouvra Comics is all about. Ouvra Comics is a multimedia, multimedia, and multisensory experience. An example of this is Chapter 1 of the Victor Victrola comic book, which is an Apple Books exclusive audio and musical ebook, which allows the reader a more fully realized experience. Each page is narrated by myself as Victor Victrola with select tracks from the soundtrack, but more on that and other titles on a different episode. The story goes that several years ago, I moved from Southern California to Northern California. After having just completed an artist residency at Disneyland Resort, including Disneyland, Downtown Disney, and Disney's California Adventure. After a little while, I started to get myself involved in several events, including a couple gallery shows, and then eventually some makers markets and farmers markets. At these various events, I offered everything from paintings to handmade soap to hand-sculpted lapel pins. You know, stuff like that. The reason being, I guess I was just trying to find my own quote-unquote thing. Every time I would go to any of these events, I found myself being looked at as that person. If I made soap, I was the soap guy. If I made mesh wreaths, I was the mesh wreath guy. <laughs> Or if I made lapel pins, then I was, you know, that guy. Didn't matter what it was. It just seemed like whatever it is that I was selling is who or what I was being defined as. And I don't know. I just didn't think that that was very fair. I didn't like the idea of being pigeonholed into one thing. I didn't like the idea of anyone telling me, you're doing this. Okay, this is what you do. And this is all you do. And that's that. And then there are the other assholes who would respond to that with, well, some people don't even have that. So you should be grateful and stick to that. And to that I say, bullshit. So you're saying that because I do more than one thing, because I don't have a narrow mind, because I don't pigeonhole myself into one role or to one character, that I'm not grateful? That's bullshit. I am so grateful that I'm willing to put in all the hard work and long hours that it takes to produce and put out the things that I do. And I'm no longer willing to let people like that keep me away from my destiny and rob me of who I am and what I was put on this earth to do. Now, it took me a long time to think this way. And I had to go through a lot to get here. And I'm not going back. So back to my comic books a couple years ago after doing a year-long series of makers markets and experiencing some of the positive aspects as well as a lot of the negative aspects of that realm i decided that it was time to move on so i asked god what next well then i started going to dinner with friends more often and at one point after dinner i don't remember exactly how it was started but we started talking about all of the collectibles one of my friends had around the house. 
I learned that he used to own a comic book shop, and now he collects things at home privately, and occasionally takes some of his collectibles to different comic conventions and has them signed by different artists, where he gets to meet and talk with them a little too, which obviously is pretty cool. But what really caught my interest and what really surprised me the most was when he brought out a small book of independently published poetry. I thought that it just surprised me. I thought that that was so bizarre. It was so strange to me that <laughs> it was so weird to me that this guy bought some other guy's poetry book. And I was brought up in such a way where I think that many men and many people in, I guess, most societies, I'm not sure, but many societies, at least uh, what seems to be the majority of um, American society or a certain type of demographic, you just don't like buying poetry, reading poetry, thinking the thought of even considering buying poetry will make your dick fall off somehow. Like it will make you more feminine and, you know, your balls will dry up and, and just collapse. <laughs> but here you have this guy who's this heterosexual male with a wife and child and dog and house and all these things that you know men are you know quote unquote supposed to do um being supportive towards someone else being supportive towards art and it just it just stabbed me in the chest it really it was very touching i mean at least for me like you just don't see that every day <laughs> so i started asking him like like why he did that and he just said that the guy was a nice guy and that he you know worked very hard on his poetry and um and he thought it was a cool feeling like the cool vibe from the book and just you know whatever and so he bought it and had the guy sign it and i was like i don't understand <laughs> Because the thing is, you know, like that was new to me. Like I hadn't experienced that in my own life before. I mean, I have, but very far and in between and by very few people. And I guess I never really realized it. You see, as I mentioned earlier, I moved from Southern California to Northern California. I worked at Disneyland as an artist, as a lead artist, actually. And I didn't start out that way. It took a lot of hard work, a lot of perseverance, a lot of patience, just a lot in general. And when you first start out doing something like that, as an artist growing up, I mean, that's like your dream to one day work for um, Disney as an animator, as some type of artist, or at Warner Brothers. Like, those were my dreams. And so you get this job where you're working at Disneyland and you're an artist at Disney. And it's like a dream come true. Unfortunately, what you learn is real life. And in real life, much about it is a dream come true. 
but a lot of it is not. For instance, the pay. The pay is garbage. Nothing substantial you could live off of in Southern California. It's either minimum wage hourly or commission. Not both, whichever is greater. And sometimes whatever is greater is not that great. And, you know, nothing against the people who I was lucky enough to be let in to by. Like, nothing against them. They're not responsible for the hostile climate towards the arts these days. They're just artists supporting the arts and other artists and making a few dreams come true. I mean, not that they're not doing pretty well as a result. Um, I'm just saying that it is tough out there. And um, no matter how much glitter you throw on it, sometimes it's just not what you thought it was going to be. You see, when you work hard to get there, to even get that far, and then you get there, and once you get there, you begin to learn that not everyone views artists and what it is we do equally to other professions and what other working adults do. Granted, it's usually the most insecure people, but you begin to find out in some way and somehow you find out that even though you're literally an artist working in the land that another artist dreamed up, not everyone views you or respects what you do in a similar fashion. And then you get there and you find some of these things out. It's kind of disappointing, but you're like, okay, but I'm here. So you put it past you. But then every day, at least one to four times a day, there's always those assholes who walk up to your booth in the middle of you working, stare at you, ask you questions, and before they walk away, look at you straight in the eyes, dead in the eyes, and say, I can do that, and then walk off. First of all, no you can't. Second, that is so fucking rude. Third of all, you know what? Here, take this fucking brush, Let's see you do it, you dumb bitch. Because I bet you you can't, you asshole. And it was the same thing or very similar oftentimes with Maker's Market. It was a little bit better with the Maker's or Artist Markets or whatever because at least you were selling your own product. You were selling your own characters or your own ideas. But you still had those people who you knew you were going to get, or at least I knew I was going to get. And that's why when I started making soap or lapel pins or, you know, whatever it is I was doing, that's why I, you know, working at Disneyland and experiencing those types of people is why I started doing so much research about whatever it is that I do. I do so much reading about until I actually start making whatever it is that I'm going to make. So like when I made soap, I had to learn not the history of soap, but how soap is actually made. Now you go to makers markets now and people will say it's organic. I made it from scratch, blah, blah, blah. Most of the time it's bullshit. Unless you're out there with your trees on your several acres of land and you're burning down your trees and you're taking the ashes from those trees and separating the minerals from the ashes and going through the 40,000 step process before you actually get to the part where you actually consider from scratch, you're not making it from scratch. But let me tell you, there are those people who show up to these markets, who show up to these events, 
and for whatever's going on in them, for whatever's going on in their dumbass brains, there's always those fucking assholes who got to show up and think that they're going to fucking pop quiz you because you got to prove your fucking self to them. I mean, you're selling this fucking shit that took you hours to make for between a dollar to five dollars to ten dollars. And these bitches want to quiz you like they're about to hand you a brick of fucking gold. If you're 10 years old, all right, I'll tell you a story. Because you know why? Because you're 10 years old and five dollars is a lot to you. If you're 16 years old and you got ten dollars, I'll tell you a story. I will tell you how this shit is made because you need some convincing because... This money is all the money you're going to have for maybe a week, two weeks. And you probably had to do some chores for this shit. So I will tell you a story. But when you're a full-on ass adult and you come over with your nasty ass attitude and you start talking to me a certain way because I'm on this side of the table and you're on that side of the table, uh uh-uh. Ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) So after years of that, having a friend who's like, a normal person pull out like this art piece that they actually like appreciate. I was just like, my brain just was like, just exploded. <laughs> and I learned that he bought it from the artist at a comic con in Sacramento called SACCON. I asked him some more questions and I think he told me he would send me a link or I wrote it down or whatever, but I looked it up the next day and um, basically learned about what to do to get involved and applied and um, yeah, and I got accepted and then I realized, holy shit, I don't have a comic book. (laughs) I signed up for the thing with no actual thing. Now, for anyone listening who's not familiar with um, comic conventions, you don't actually have to have a comic book comic book like a traditional comic book as was the case with the poet that my friend bought the poetry book from it just has to be um, a relatively well presented um, art piece or art pieces and that's what's great about conventions like these is that it really is about celebrating the arts you know some things do better than others depending on the convention but you know, it's pretty open. The audience there seems to be way more open to whatever it is that um, many people have to offer. You know, some people show up and they want to see, you know, commercial things, things that they're more familiar with. But there are other people who are actually looking for adventure, who are actually looking for something new and different and unique. Anyway, so back to what I was saying. I had no comic book. I had created characters before, but it was all... My comic books were my music albums. I always created the persona I wanted to be. I made music according to a theme that I was trying to project. I made the um, cover art according to the theme that I was trying to project. Any photo or photo art that I created um, having to do with that album was basically it was related to the theme of that of what I was trying to to put out there. And I paid careful attention to the arrangement of the songs, which song would come first, second, third, so on and so forth. But I didn't actually have a comic book at that time. I had the characters and their stories that would eventually be in the comic books. And I put out music as these characters. 
but I didn't actually have a comic book proper. And I only had about a month and a half to maybe two months total to be able to basically produce like one full-on comic book, print and all. So as you can imagine, I had my work cut out for me. It worked out in the end, though I wasn't able to take full-color prints of the first chapter of the comic. What I ended up taking was, while I only was able to have enough time to print the first chapter, like one copy, and the rest I had to print out at home and staple together at the corners and um, you know, basically promote and try to raise funds in that way to be able to print uh, color versions of the same chapter. And you know what? People were actually very supportive of that. And it's an indescribable feeling to have people kind of take a look at your work, listen to your story a little, and believe in it. And believe in enough to say, you know what, I want to support this. And that's just really cool. So for anyone out there who might be listening to this, who purchased any of the chapters or any of the music from the comic books or related merchandise, or for those of you listening to this right now, thanks again. I really appreciate it. So where was I? <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, during this first convention, something else interesting happened, which also contributed to the advent of Uvra Comics. Um, I actually spoke with someone from a indie comic book publishing company, and uh, I was asked if I would be interested in having it published. And <laughs> of course I was. Obviously I was. And so I was, you know, I said yes. And I got their information and was just told, you know, send an email um, tomorrow or whatever. And I did. And um, after that, the responses, well, it took a little bit to get one back. And then um, when I did get one, it was not quite in the same vibe, I guess. It went from like their interest in publishing or making my comic a part of their, a part of their brand to um, a little bit of silence. Um, Followed by the person that I spoke with who actually runs the, the, that comic company, if I had considered self-publishing. So the tone of the conversation was obviously a lot different than what I had initially experienced, which is why I was emailing in the first place. Um, it was kind of depressing. So, um, I couldn't do anything after that except, like, move forward and, I guess, try to find another publisher. I submitted my first chapter of Victor Victrola to Image Comics and I think maybe one or two other ones, um, and I never heard anything back. So, um, as I was moving into producing the rest of chapter two, then chapter three, and then I had to start getting ready for the next conventions coming up. I, you know, it came time to print and publish, basically. So uh, I created the Uvra Comics label as a result of that. So it worked out, kind of. When it came time to choose a name for the label, I once again did a lot of research and eventually, I just came back to Uvra. 
since Victor Victrola wasn't the only comic book that I was planning on making, I felt like it would be best suited to describe what would be a collection of my comic works. And for a minute, Uvra Comics was almost Uvra Hybrids. Hybrids was the only word at the time that I felt like described what was happening with the comic book. As I described earlier, I was about to release this multimedia, multi-experience hybrid ebook on Apple Books. And around that same time, I was getting ready to publish, I think, Chapter 2. And I went back to the company that I used to print Chapter 1. And for some reason, this time I noticed that a part of their name was Comics. And I did a little bit of research as to why they chose that. Um, I don't really completely understand why, but I think it has something to do with printing more than just books. I don't know. All I know is that when I saw it again, it just made sense. So yeah, that's how that happened. After that, and a couple more conventions, I started getting involved with even more. Like SAC Anime, where I was featured in the Indie Zone, and Connex, which benefits the Make-A-Wish Foundation, where I had a Q&A and a musical performance. Then there's Powerhouse Comic Con, Toy Expo, and then next year at RuPaul's DragCon, and Time Traveler's Bazaar. I mean, it's been a really cool, life-changing couple of years. And come to think of it, these experiences, not only in the last few years, but in the last decade, really, the behind-the-scenes making of all of this stuff is pretty much why I created this podcast. I mean, what a crazy ride it's been. I get to meet vendors, artists, cosplayers, people who run the conventions, celebrities. I get to talk about my comic book, about my music, about the inspiration that goes behind the jewelry, the toys, the stickers, each chapter of the comic book, and the characters. And as I get to talk to all of these amazing people and see all of this amazing stuff and travel to all these great towns, I thought, people need to know about you. People need to know about all of these great production companies, these great people behind putting together these modern day circuses and carnivals, and what it's like behind the scenes in the making of their overalls. Thank you for joining me on this second episode of Ovra. Don't forget to hit the follow button. If you'd like to make a donation to support this program, you can also follow at patreon.com forward slash Robert Signs for free. Make a one-time donation in any amount or by becoming a member through monthly subscriptions starting at just $1 with some pretty cool extras and rewards. In the coming months, I'll be focusing on a series of podcasts devoted to the making of other content from my OVRA including the graphic comics and music albums, Victor Victrola, Bo Brummel, Signs, and producing their related merchandise, all as we gear up for next year's Comic-Con season. I'll also have our first special guests on the show to talk about the details behind the making of their ouvres, including cosplayers, vendors, and more. This is Robert Signs. Later.